mindfulness mode. Really start to enjoy the beauty around you. Start to see what's beautiful in your life. Hey, Mindful Tribe, welcome to the show. Usually I have a solo episode on Sunday nights. Today it's a bit different. I do have an interview for you today. But hey, I have a bonus for you. If you listen to the very end, I have something special that I'm offering to you and all Mindful Tribe listeners. So so check it out and sit back and relax and enjoy today's episode with Nanette Hucknell. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness here on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Lankford. Mindful Tribe, I'm here today to talk about a topic that we've talked about a number of times before, and I don't think we ever talk about it enough. We're here to talk about yoga, and specifically today, we're talking about higher self yoga, And it's a spiritual teaching that we're going to learn about. And I'm very honored to have an author with me, the author who has put together this this spiritual teaching, this higher self yoga, and it's Nanette V. Hucknall. Nanette, welcome to Mindfulness Mode. Are you in Mindfulness Mode today? Oh, absolutely. And thank you so much, Bruce, for having me here. Yeah, it's my absolute pleasure to have you. And I will just share with Mindful Tribe a little bit more about you. And uh, it says here, Nanette V. Hucknell is a recognized authority on relationships, on healing psychological wounds, overcoming obstacles, and self-empowerment. She's an award-winning author, a teacher, a trained therapist, a career counselor, and a painter. Through her books, classes, lectures, and retreats, she's deepened the lives of hundreds of spiritual practitioners. So now you see why I'm so excited to talk to Nanette. And Nanette, tell us, what does mindfulness mean to you? Uh, mindfulness is really, really one of the most important things I do, actually. It's helped me to focus, to really learn how to focus and concentrate on what I'm doing. And I find, I, I'm saying that, why it's so important to me, because like a lot of women, I'm pretty scattered. I start one thing, and then I do another thing, and then I do another thing, and then and by end, I get it all done, but I... I I distract myself by going from one thing to the next thing. So when I really started to work with mindfulness, it made me just concentrate on the one thing. And that was really, really so important because I found that when I did that, I have much more clarity in my thinking about what I'm doing. When I'm writing a book, I just really concentrate on what I need to say instead of getting up and running and doing something else in the meantime. So it, it focuses me, basically. I also find that uh, it helps you to let go of the past and to not dwell on the future. I, I really believe in setting goals in the future. That's important to do for somebody. But when, once you set the, that goal, then you take make a plan to do step-by-step step how you're going to achieve the goal. So, And then it's important to take that first step and concentrate and do it in the present. Not to keep thinking about the next step, next step, but stay with the first step until you complete it. Then do the next step, and then the next and next. If you skip going into the future, you're, not, you're never gonna reach that goal. So that, to, I think, is also what you can do with the future is to plan something, but let it go then and work toward it. And I also, as a therapist, I feel that there's a lot of people 
that have a difficulty to doing mindfulness because they have a wounded self, you know, self image from their childhood. And that self image they bring into their, the present. And it, it kind of controls their personality, who they are. So if you have wounds from the past, I think it's so important to heal those wounds so you don't keep bringing them back into your heart, into your work, who you are. Well, and here's the million dollar question. How do we heal those wounds that are holding us back? Oh, I, as a therapist, you do have to have to do therapy. That's how you heal them. I see really the, the best way to heal them because you can try to do it yourself. You can say, oh, I had this wound. I feel, for example, I feel very insecure about things. Why do I feel insecure? Well, this happened to me, which made me feel I wasn't good enough. And I, I, I can't do things well. I was treated that way when I was a child. And you can understand it. You can have the full awareness in it of it. But you, it's very hard to treat yourself. That's why a therapist who's trained can really help you start to, to heal that wound of the child, to be the, the good parent to that child, to go back and help that child reprogram itself. It's about reprobing that child into feeling, yes, I can do anything in life. I am, I am competent. I am capable. So it really, really needs to help. It really need help. Sure. Yes, absolutely. We definitely need to reach out to others to allow ourselves to be helped. I absolutely agree. Now, you said an interesting thing earlier, and you said that, like a lot of women, a lot of us are scattered. And I never really thought of that as a feminine characteristic. So you you truly think that that it's more of a characteristic of females than to be more scattered. Is that true? And if so, why do you think that is? Well, because women usually are in the household and they have to make the meals. They have to do the laundry. They have to, to take care of the children. If there's children, they're the ones that have to run around and do things all the time. Whereas the men go to work all day long and, you know, come home and just have their meal and just and have an evening. Whereas the women, all day long, women are doing the stuff. But also, it's a part of uh, women's thinking, too. And I, it, um, I don't know if this is a good example, but I think it is, it is a good example. I read in Forbes magazine many years ago the difference between women managers and men managers. They say a woman manager, when you give her a project, she will think of many different ways to do that project. And, and, but it takes a long time. It's harder for her to decide which one to do. Mm -hmm. so with a man, we give a man a project, he'll do the first thing he thinks of. And, but he hasn't really explored whether there's another better way of doing it. And so what we really need is someone that could do both, that can think of different ways to do something, then to decide and then do it. So it's really about what I call the, the feminine and masculine energies within people. And uh, this is something that I also have written about in a book called The Rose and the Sword, how to balance your feminine and masculine energies. So, so women have a tendency to, to really explore. And the same thing with their doing things. They have a tendency to think about something else and want to go do something else. And, they, you know, I'm, I'm not scattered because I don't have a family around me in that matter. But I am scattered in terms of I'll start something on my computer and then so oh, I got to make a telephone call. There's this person. Then I'll make the telephone call. 
or the phone will ring. I'll answer the phone, and then and then I'll go back to the computer and say, "Oh no, I forgot this," you know. So that was how my how I was scattered in terms of instead of saying I'm not going to answer the phone at all from nine to five, I'm just going to concentrate. And that's what I do now. I tell people don't don't call me between nine and five because I'm working. Any calls I get in our spam calls, so I don't answer them. Uh, so this is, you know, I don't that explains it, but I do find there is a difference between energies, and we call that the yin and yang energy in the, in the East, and both men and women have it. Both men and women have those energies, uh, but usually they are more prominent in a male and a female. Well, that's very interesting. And yes, I saw that you had written that book, The Rose and the Sword, how to balance your feminine and masculine energies. And I thought I would really like to read that. It's fascinating. And I also want to ask you, you, you said about goals. You talked a little bit about goals. When you were a young woman, did you have a goal to be an author and to write quite a number of books? And is that why it came to fruition? Not really. I actually had a goal to be a writer when I was in, in my teens. And I had all my friends when I was in my early 20s were writers. Oh, were they? And, yeah, they were all writers. And um, and they were all, there was one that was, already got a contract with one of the big publishing houses. And she was like 20. And I, I said, oh, you know, they're so much better than me. I can't be a writer because I read their stuff. I said, I yeah. can't be a writer. And then... Uh, and actually, um, my first spiritual teaching was Agni Yoga. And my teacher, when I, I was about 33 at the time, I said, what should I do? At the time, I was an art director. I was an art director for many years. And he said, you need to be a writer. That is, you are meant to be a writer. I was so happy when he said that. <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. And you know, it's interesting because I read a book by Somerset Maugham. I think it was a summing up. It's called The Summing Up. And he was somebody that was a doctor. And he said he had a lot of friends that were writers that were very good writers, and he thought he could never be a writer. But when he was in his late 20s, he decided he didn't like medicine and he wanted to really write. And, and he said, all my friends that were writers, they, it was just a fad for them. They never became writers. And the same person that sold the book to, to one of the publishers never finished the book. So all my friends that were writers never pursued writing, which I thought was very interesting. That is interesting. Very interesting. Well, let's talk about the yoga that you talk about in your book, the higher self yoga. Tell us about that. The higher self is the wise part of you. It's the wise being within you. You have a, a conscious self, which is your main self. It's the ego self, conscious self. It's how you function in the world, how you do your work, how you do you are in relationships all of that is your really your, your your main self your conscious self and you have a lower self which is where your anger and fear all the negative characteristics in you are within that that lower self and then you have a higher self and the higher self has all your positive characteristics and all your positive qualities the higher self actually is a concept in all the Indian, not all of them, but quite a few of the Indian yogas had, had the higher self as the spiritual part of who you are. And this goes back thousands of years. But what they don't have is the practical aspect of the higher self. 
the higher self has the ability to feel unconditional love. It also is where your wisdom and your discernment is, where you get all your discernment. This is one of the positive qualities. Compassion is part of the higher self. But your inspiration and creativity also comes from the higher self. It comes through the heart, which is one of the things I have written in the heart book. Um, and it brings you, when you're in the higher self, you, have, you don't have any emotions. It brings you into that place of real inner peace and calmness. So the higher self, besides all this, has understands you. The higher self understands who you are, understands who you are in terms of, of your conscious self, who you are, even in terms of your lower self. It has full understanding of you and who you have been from the past, in past lifetimes even. Uh, if you believe in past lifetimes. So the higher self, what I decided to do is start to, and I, I discovered the higher self, by the way, when I uh, was trained in psychosynthesis, which is a transpersonal training. It had the higher self within the actual training to work with people and to work with clients. And I learned about the higher self in that, in that training. And I did that training because I had started an organization called the Center for Peace Through Culture, which... I wanted to learn more about people skills. So I took that training and discovered the higher self. And after I discovered the higher self, I then started using it in my, in my career therapy in terms of working with clients. Because the higher self knows what you should do in life. It knows who you are. It knows in therapy, I use the higher self to help me when I was working with clients in terms of how to get over their problems how to, to start working through the, the, the hurts and the wounds of who they are. And all my books, by the way, in the higher self have exercises with the higher self in them and also stories that illustrate what I'm talking about in the books. So it's very practical and it hasn't been used that way in, in the previous yoga. This has been used in terms of the spiritual aspect. So I started using this in, in my retreats, in, my, in all my work, in my classes. And that's when I started writing the books and decided this is really a yoga. It's a full yoga. And that's when I developed Higher Self Yoga and made it up an organization. Wow. That's, that's a, quite an accomplishment. And your book, How to Live from Your Heart, is one of the books that I wanted to talk to you about today. And the subtitle is Deepen Relationships, Develop Creativity, and Discover Inner Wisdom. Why is creativity so important for us as humans? If you didn't have inspiration and creativity, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have the fire in your heart. You wouldn't have, have excitement. You wouldn't, you wouldn't enjoy beauty. You know, these are all the, the wonderful things that you have in life. And inspiration makes you develop and get, you know, when you're, when you're creative and think about something that's creative, it, it makes you happy. It gives you joy. It's a thing in you that is just uplifts your whole spirit. And it's the part in you that's also spiritual. Yeah, I love that description of it. That's uh, a question that Everybody answers differently, and I really like the way you answered it. So you are also an artist, and you've worked in that field for a long time. So tell me about the art that you create and how important it is to you. Well, I don't do very much art anymore because, as I, I'm writing all the books, 
but the I'm I love the impressionist, the impressionist, and more the abstract impressionist. So uh, and actually I was in a couple of galleries. I had a, a, a major gallery in New York that was interested in doing a show, but then I started, I, I, but they came to see my work. They love my work. They, they wanted to do a show. They wanted me to do a series, a series of water with lilies, water lily series in it. Oh, okay. Because I love Monet. So I did my own water lily series. But during that time is when I started the Center for Peace Through Culture. And that started, I felt that was more important. So I kind of gave up painting. So I've been painting really just more on the side because I've been doing all the other things. But I love to paint. To me, it just, I love the beauty of painting, of looking at painting. I love paintings. And do you have some of your paintings on your website? Oh, yes. I have a whole section on the website. Okay, and your website is nanettevhucknell.com. So Mindful Tribe, check it out. Nanette, N-A-N-E-T-T-E, V, Hucknell, H-U-C-K-N-A-L-L.com. What else can we find on your website, Nanette? Well, I should, I have, um, uh, I have blogs on my website that are posted monthly. I have um, the connection to the higher self yoga. And Higher Self Yoga, by the way, is higherselfyoga.inc. And it has, um, we're doing classes on that website. We have a class based on my book, Living From Your Heart. And we also have a first class, which is on the intuition, developing an intuition. And they're free. Those two classes are free. So I would recommend people to, to really go to those classes because you'll learn more about the living from the heart. And also, I think the intuition is so important to, to really be in touch with, even before you start working with the higher self. And then the third class that we're, hasn't been posted yet, which is coming up, is going to be uh, kind of an introduction to the higher self, how to work with the higher self. Oh, that's exciting. So these classes, are they, what are they like? Are they pre-recorded that you've put up there or are they in real time or what are they like? No, they're pre-recorded. You can, they're in three parts. Mm -hmm. I can even tell you about the, the parts, the, um, the one that, that I'm talking about in terms of the living from the heart. It's uh, the first part is how to use your heart to explore your inner world. The second part is how to use your heart to nurture your relationships. And the third part is how to expand the openness of your heart to encompass the world as a whole. And um, those three parts you can listen to any time. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're, you, you kind of download the whole class and you can listen to it at any time you want to. You have received some really incredible feedback on this book. Someone said that your book has allowed that person to trust themselves and bring love into their business and personal relationships. Tell me what feedback you've received and how you feel when you get some of this incredibly powerful feedback. Well... I guess a lot of the feedback is on how it's helped their relationships. Because I have a whole section on relationship. And I have a whole section on how to mirror somebody. That's one of the, the wonderful aspects of working with the heart is that heart gives you the ability to mirror a person. And what I mean by mirroring a person is, uh, for example, and I'm sure this has happened to you, it's happened to me, where somebody comes and asks you uh, to help them in something. They have a problem. They need your advice. Now, usually most people, even including myself at the beginning, would tell that person, think about what they're asking me and respond as to what I would do. 
what I would actually do if, if I had this happen to me, go into my own knowledge and respond that way. But instead I say, don't do that. Instead, question them. What is it they would like to do? And how, how, how do they want to do it? Maybe help them in doing what they want to do. And, and to really, really help them decide for themselves what they can do. And I find I get people saying, I've tried that. It really works so well. And the other thing in terms of relationship is when people are having difficulties, you know, when couples are having difficulties. I found that the, the main problem with, because I've done some couples work in my therapy practice, and I found the main problem was communication, really communicating with each other. And so, some will get hurt because they, some, the, the partner says something to them which they, they are hurt, hurt about and they're afraid to say anything about it. So they, it starts to fester. They fester and they get angry and angry and they finally scream at their partner. This is what you did to me, blah, blah, blah. And they made it way out of proportion instead of just at the time saying, saying to the person, I say, if you, you need to confront somebody right away if you feel hurt or something's bothering you. And how you confront them is not going in there and being say, why did you do this kind of thing? In that kind of manner, you go in there and you say, you know, I really love you. And I love when you do this and so on and so on. You, you first praise them a little bit, but then you say, but when this, when you said this to me, it really made me feel this. So you don't say it's, why did you do that to me? You say it made me feel. And so that person doesn't get on the defensive. And then you have a talk about it. And, and also another thing I used to do in my therapy practice with couples is I say, okay, I think it's really important that once a week, maybe in the morning on a Sunday, you know, or, or, or go for a walk, once a week, just either sit down someplace and talk about the past week and say, and start with, I loved it when you did this, and I loved it when you did this, and so on. But when you did this, it really bothers me. So can you, maybe, is there a reason why you always do that? Because it really bothers me. And then and you talk about it. And you both do it, not just one person, but both do it and share so that you start to open up who you are. I find couples don't know each other. They don't know each other. And it's like, you know, your best friend might know you better than your, than your partner, your wife or your partner, you know, or your husband. And so do you still work with, with couples and help them with their relationships? No, no. I, I actually have retired from being a therapist. <laughs> I, right. retired. I retired, I think, in my, when I, when I hit 80, I retired being a therapist. <laughs> so. No, I was just going to say, one of the fascinating things about you is that you're 88 years old. And a lot of people don't create a lot during their 80s, but you have created plenty. Tell us about this decade. What has it been like as you moved from your 70s into your 80s? Did you feel like you were just able to maintain the same amount of productivity? What was it like? Yeah, I really don't feel my age. I mean, I feel my age now because now I have arthritis, <laughs> you know, and I have, so I, I do feel that, but I try not to dwell on it. I try to forget about it. And I exercise a lot. I mean, I really, I've always exercised and I, I have a recliner bike here, which I, every, every night I do 45 minutes of bike work. Every morning I do 45 minutes of stretching. So I really try to keep myself in good condition. And I'm a vegetarian. So that, I think that helps. I'm very conscious of my diet. 
And I just have a lot of energy. I have a lot of energy. I've always had a lot of energy. I've been very fortunate in having a lot of energy. So, and I've always been a little bit of a workaholic, which, you know, is not too good. I don't, I don't think it's great to do, but I, but I enjoy my work. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy what I do. And I think that's what makes a difference is I enjoy what I'm doing. That's why that first book, Fun, You Work, Love in Your Life, is about really, really being happy at what you're doing. I had in, in so many career people come to me in their 40s and their 50s saying, I've been doing this job for 20 years, 30 years, and I just hate it. Just hate it. And but I'm too old. I say, you're not too old. You're never too old. And that's how I feel about life. You're never too old. And just because you're retired doesn't mean you should stop not living. <laughs> so, Well, I, I notice that people will say to me, oh, I'm, I'm turning 60. So, you know, I'm kind of like getting to be over the hill and this kind of thing. And, and even in their 50s, sometimes people feel like they shouldn't be carrying on with the same kinds of things that they previous did. And I, I don't get that at all. I think that, you know, just keep creating and doing what makes you happy. That's my philosophy. Yeah. And I think doing what makes you happy is what gives you that enthusiasm, gives you the energy and also, you know, that creativity we talked about. I think it's so important to be creative in some way. Yeah, for sure. Well, you told me that you live by yourself on a beautiful lake I, and that, I'm fascinated with that. And I think that must be just amazing. Have you ever had a partner in your life? I've had partners throughout my life. Um, was engaged three times, never got married, never really wanted to get married except to one person who was an Italian. I lived in Italy for a year, studied art in Italy for a year. And I was engaged to an Italian for about three years. So, I mean, he was the one I really did want to marry. And then I just got involved in my work and I said, you know, I, I, I lived with somebody for a couple of years and it was, it was wonderful at the time, but it was something that wasn't really, you know, I didn't, didn't have the, the full love and commitment in being in a relationship. And I, I kind of missed not having children. I did miss that. In my day days, you didn't have a child on your own. You know, it was unheard of to do that. Of course, yes. And I, I think that if, if, it, if I was living in today's world, I probably would do that because I do miss having children, but I have a lot of students. So, you know, I have, I have enough students that they're kind of in a way that my, my children in a sense. So I tell a, us about one of your students that just lights you up. Oh, I can't do that. It'd be, it'd be not right to do it. <laughs> they all light me up actually, because they all have their own, their own personalities, their own needs, their own spiritual striving. It lights me up when I see somebody really doing the work. Mm -hmm. and striving to do the work and i see i see them change i've had students now for oh some of my students i've had for 30 years so uh and i've seen them go through amazing changes in their lives and that's what lights me up and i i, I kind of say that about every one of them even the new ones because when they're really working and doing the work of the higher self it really makes it really changes them when they start working with their higher self on a regular basis it makes a difference because not only are you you're working with all the practical aspects of the higher self, but you're also working with that spiritual part within you. And it kind of opens the spirit, opens the heart, which is really important. That's why the heart book was something important for me to write. Because it's, I feel people really need to work with their hearts. They don't know what their hearts can do for them. 
they, they think the heart is just the way the heart, by the way, is, is not the physical heart. It's the chakra, the heart chakra, which is nice. They call it the heart chakra or they call it the heart center. And it's right here in the middle of your chest. And when you start working with that, it's not, it's emotion. It has your positive emotions. It has your negative emotions. It's where you feel sadness. And people say they feel their heart's going to break. All those sayings about the heart are true. You feel that in your heart. You feel the warmth of when you love somebody in your heart. But people don't realize that the heart is where that inspiration and creativity comes from. It's, it's also this beautiful instrument, but with every instrument, it needs to be tuned. It has to be practiced. And one of the things that I really talk about is the, the mind is a beautiful instrument also. But in our Western world, we, we use the mind, you primarily focus on the mind. Schools are, you know, I have friends with teenage kids and they're spending all their time studying for tests to get into college. I mean, it's, been, it's really difficult. And it's all on the mind. The, uh, but when you start to open the heart, the heart brings the inspiration and creativity and the mind takes that and manifests it. Really can manifest it in the world. Uh, and a good example of that is that, and again, back to the feminine and the masculine, the feminine, if you've ever known people, including men, that have great ideas, really good ideas of things that they want to do, but they never do them. They yeah. never do them. And you'll say, what happened to that great idea you had? Well, I never got around to do it. I didn't do it. Because they didn't have the, the mind, just the masculine, to manifest it. Because the mind can take those creative ideas and make them happen. And if you're if you're overly the masculine, it's like that fourth story, you 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 don't really explore and are creative enough. You take an idea and you follow it through it, it just is not right because it hasn't been explored, it hasn't been more creativity from inspiration put into it. So that's again getting back to that balance of the feminine and the masculine. So are you still taking on clients? No clients anymore. I'm just writing now. Writing and doing the lectures, doing the higher self yoga, and in doing a podcast like with you. Thank you. But when you talked when you talked about your students, it sounded like you have so many students that you're so passionate about. But these are students that you took on years ago. Then is that right? Oh, I still have students coming in, but I have other teachers in the higher self. These are teachers, higher self spiritual teachers, and they and they tap their own students. So, but I have about I would say about. 35, 38 of my own students. So, you know, and they, I, I try to help them not all the time because I'm too busy, but, but I do have, have a lot of, I do work them. I do, do retreats every year. I just did a three, I'm doing retreats online now on Zoom. Okay. I, I usually do a yearly retreat in Montreal for a whole week where they all come together. Everybody knows each other. They all come together. So I had all, I had like 45 people on this retreat I just did recently for three days. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of splitting it up to three days on Zoom. So yeah, I know all of them very well for all these years. And we have new people coming in all the time. So, but I have other teachers that are, are teaching the new people coming in. I see, that makes sense. Where did you have your retreat in Montreal? It's on the island outside. I forgot the name of the island. It's at a monastery, a Jesuit monastery. Uh, uh, they have this beautiful, they're on the lake, the river. I guess it's on the river coming in from the ocean. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and it's a monastery, with, with this, which is really beautiful with gorgeous gardens. And we have a, 
we have big hall to work in and we have all we we sleep there we have wonderful french cooking <laughs> it's, it's a very nice place that we, sounds great yeah are you hoping to have a retreat there again next year yeah definitely if we can if we don't get more variants coming in in, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, that sounds like a wonderful experience to go on a retreat where you're leading it. That would be amazing. Yeah. Well, I also have my other spiritual teachers leading it. I do a lot of qu- answers and questions to, in it, but I have given over a lot of that also to, to the actual the, the retreat itself to my spiritual teachers to do. I'm trying to transition a little bit because I sure. am. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I always ask a question about the topic of bullying because I've worked in that field for a long time. Were you ever bullied in your life or do you have a story about bullying that you can share with us where mindfulness would have made a difference? Oh, yes. I had, I was an art director in the sixties. Now there are very few art directors who were women. Yeah. Very hard. In fact, I went to Cooper Union, which is a very wonderful you know, famous school in art. And all my men that were in the class all got incredible jobs in agencies. And when I called to get a job at an agency, even to do mechanicals, we didn't have computers then. We did all the paste-ups on boards for, for any art that you did. They, they told me, blank out, we never hire women. Never hire women. But I finally, when I was in my mid-20s, managed to get into an art director's job. And I had to work with a account exec who was a man, an older man. I think he was in his late 50s. And he he said, I'm not working with a woman. I refuse to work with a woman. Wow. And so the head of the agency, look, we hired her because she's good. She's got a good portfolio and we want to keep her. And you have to work with her because she's an industrial. I was doing industrial art because I'd worked for a famous designer who was an industrial artist. And he says, I don't want to work. He said, well, you have to. And they weren't going to get rid of him. They weren't going to get rid of me either. So the first two or, th- two or three weeks, he was terrible to me. He actually ordered me around. He ordered me around. He made me do things I didn't want to do. He said, you have to go do this. And, and for the first, you know, first two weeks, I did this because I was, didn't want to lose my job. At, you know. And finally, the third week, I said, wait a minute. He's not my boss. And I went, I said, I need to talk to you. And I said that to him, you're not my boss. You're, you're my coworker. And you don't tell me what to do in this job. Let me do my job. I'm not, I'm not going to do it. Listen to you anymore when you start to command me and, and bully me. I didn't say bully at the time. I right. said, when you command me. And, and he said, he got, he got really surprised, really surprised. Like, I bet. <laughs> so he said, Okay, and then we try again. I would say, no, you're doing this again. Stop doing it. And and then I started producing work, and he liked my work. He really liked my work, and and it was fine. Then from then on, we were very good friends. But it was it was rough. It was very rough. Sounds rough. Wow. And way to go for speaking up so soon in that. Wow. Yeah, that would be mindfulness. If I had done it right away, I, I, I experienced it for a couple of weeks and I was thinking quitting. I was really thinking I got to find another job. But it was so hard to find an art practice job as a woman. I said, it was, it was a good job. I said, why should I have to quit because of him? No, <laughs> of course not. Wow. What a great story, Nanette. That is really a powerful story. <laughs> A lot of our listeners will relate to that, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was. Well, just, it's like Mad World. I mean, Mad Men. 
the whole yeah. series. <clears throat> that was the kind of work, that was the way it was back in the 60s. Yeah, very different world, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm glad that's changed. Yeah, so I'm really I. glad that's changed. Well, Nanette, as we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. The first question is this, who is one person who has influenced mindfulness in your life? Well, I would say my spiritual teacher. And it was Agni Yoga, who was my spiritual teacher, because he was very much in that mode of mindfulness. How has mindfulness affected your emotions or how you deal with your emotions? Uh, when I was in my 20s, my, my, my worst problem with my, my emotions, if I would date somebody and break up with them, I would be, suffer for at least six months. If I loved the person, I would suffer for a year or two years. And I, and I finally, when I, when I started really, when I started working with my higher self, which really put me in that place of looking at myself and saying, why am I doing this to myself? Why am I being mindful about myself? Let go of these emotions. And that was my main focus when I was in my 20s, to really let go of my emotions and to really, really, uh, in, in my teaching also, to really concentrate on working on every day, looking at every day, was I emotional today? Why was I emotional? Who made me emotional? Did somebody make me emotional? I would every day at the end of the day do what I call a nightly review and really look at it. And that nightly review was really mindful because I would say, oh, the whole day I would go through that. And that's one of the things I have people do when they're working on something they want to, to change, is to, to consciously look at that Go back in the day, I call the nightly review, go back and look at from morning until night. Did I at any time do that? And why did I do it? I did it decide this a person that I have in my life make me go into that mode. So that is looking at that in a mindful way. And that is what I did. And that's what helped me get over that. I change it. And I keep that's one of the things I do with all my students is nightly review. Very interesting. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice. Well, I, as I say, I do a lot of exercise. Yes. And I've done the Hatha yoga, which is the physical yoga exercises. And they really talk a lot about breathing. And I do Pilates. My te Pilates teacher talks about breathing. I'm going to a physical therapist now for some of my arthritis. And she's giving me all kinds of breathing exercises. So breathing has been very much a part of my exercise routine and my life. So... It's good to do. It's wonderful to do the deep breathing. You have written excellent books, and the one we've been talking about, or one of them, How to Live from Your Heart, I highly recommend. I haven't had a chance to read it yet myself, and I'm really looking forward to doing that. But if you could recommend a book other than your own on the topic of mindfulness, what would you recommend? Well, uh I've been practicing mindfulness, so I haven't really read a lot, but I do. But I have heard of this one author, it's John Zinn, and Mindfulness for Beginners, which I think is supposed to be a really, really good book. But one of the things I do know he talks about is heartfulness, syn synonymous with, with mindfulness, which makes total sense to me, because when you're working with your heart, you are very mindful of what's happening around you and who you're connected to. And the other one, which someone told me about, is called Tara, and her last name is B R A C H, and it's mindfulness meditation book. And and other books I really love is the Dalai Lama's books. 
I think he's a perfect example of somebody that, that practices mindfulness. And his books are just all so wonderful to read. The Dalai Lama has come to the States a couple of, two or three times, many times actually. And I had attended, I attended a, one of his programs for a weekend. And in New York, he did a um, Kala Chakra meditation retreat for a week. And he was there a week with a lot of the, the main lamas from Tibet also were part of that. And that was a very, very beautiful uh, one-week retreat that I took with him. And he's, he's just such a lovely, lovely person. I was sitting at a church where he was doing a, a talk and I was sitting in the aisle seat and he came down the aisle seat and he took my hand and, and kind of held my hand for a minute as he went down. And his energy flowed through my whole body. Wow. He's just wonderful. And I'll tell you another quick story. It's probably too quick. But no, I, go I, tell it, yeah. I have, we, when I went to the one uh, weekend lecture, I went with a friend who was semi-blind. So she sat in the, the front row, and I and she had a little Buddha in her hand. And the Dalai Lama, every, it was, every day, I think it was a three-day, every day he would come in and lecture, and he had guards, and he went out right away. The third day, the last day, Instead of going out with the guards, he walked over to my friend and put his hand on her hand where she had the Buddha and blessed it. And she didn't know it was him because she couldn't see it well. But she felt this energy. She said, what happened? She said, said the Dalai Lama just blessed your Buddha. Wow, what a great story. Because he picked up on the fact that she couldn't see and that she was holding this. That is a great story. Wow, I've enjoyed every minute of talking to you, Nanette. This is really, really awesome. You are so inspiring. And uh, just before we end the interview, what words of advice would you have for someone who is maybe a little older and they're moving forward in their life and maybe they don't have as much direction, but they really are inspired by some of the things you do? What words of advice would you give that person? Well, we didn't talk about meditation, but I certainly would advise somebody to start to learn meditation because that brings you to a place of finding quiet and peace within you. And just really take courses in it. You have to take courses in it to try to slow down your mind so you don't listen to your mind. But meditation to me is a wonderful place to be, to learn to do, because it not only helps you physically in, in terms of making your body feel so so soft and so at a place of rest, but it rests your mind. And it brings you into other places where you can see beauty. So I would also recommend find some beauty in your life. Walk in nature. Really start to enjoy the beauty around you. Start to see what's beautiful in your life. And start to, and, and certainly to develop the mindfulness that we've been talking about. That would be the things I would, and also learn about the higher self. Read my book. <laughs> right, of course. Nanette, it's been an honor. It really has been an honor and a pleasure to have you on the show. And I want to thank you so much for being a guest on Mindfulness Mode. Well, thank you so much, Bruce. I really have enjoyed talking with you. Thank you. My pleasure. All the best to you. Bye now. Bye-bye. Hey, Mindful Tribe. Thanks for listening to the episode with Nanette. 
Hucknall. I really appreciate you being here. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I do. And I have a special bonus for you, a free bonus. I will record a guided meditation specifically for you, a five-minute guided meditation. And all you have to do is check me out on Instagram, Bruce Langford on Instagram, and then send me an email, Bruce at mindfulnessmode.com and in the email say guided meditation and put in there in the email hi I connected with you on Instagram and I uh, am inquiring about the free guided meditation and I will record a meditation just for you and I will send it to you so I'm really excited to do this for you because I value you, Mindful Tribe. I value all my listeners. And if you want to put some specifics in there about what you would like me to cover in that guided meditation, I will do that for you. I'm excited to hear from you. So take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.